Welcome, travelers, to this fascinating intellectual journey as we delve into the captivating lives of our scientists and their stories, showcasing a myriad of scientific endeavors and mysteries, the steps along the way, and the significance of their victories. This is Around the World in 80 Discoveries. So today we are entering the Ercus building, which is the pathology department at the University of Otago. And our storyteller today is... Alexandra Bosch. Alex. Okay, Alex, tell us about yourself. Where are you from? I'm from Barcelona, Spain. Tell me anything you miss from home. What's memorable from there? The I am architecture of Gaudón y Gaudí. You'll find La Padrera and, of course, La Sagrada Familia and Parkway. Uh, also, if you are a sports fan, you can find Camp Nou, which is the football field of Football Club Barcelona, where Messi mm, plays. Also, um, there's um, a very tasteful gastronomy in, in Barcelona. I was going to say, if there was one dish you could eat right now, what would it be? Calzots, kind of a vegetable at Orient, which you live into sauce, which is Romesco sauce. So you mentioned the football stadium. Are you a football fan yourself? Of course, since I was young, since I was born. And my dad used to play football with me. So when I was like 10 or 11, I went um, to Camp Nou for the first time and I, I cried when I saw Ronaldinho. Since then, I'm in love with Football Club Barcelona. What else can you tell us about your interests? What do you really like doing? Apart from sports, football, tennis and so on. I did theater when I, theater when I was young for five or six years. I played the piano for 10 but now I don't. Finally, love to take pictures and traveling with my parents specifically. If you had to say the one place that really stood out in your mind, which place would that be from all of your travels? Well, when I was 15 or 16 years old, we took a plane to Canada, specifically to the Rocky Mountains, Vancouver. And afterwards we went to Alaska. So I love Alaska. It's, the, it's beautiful. What did you love about Alaska? The Aurora Borealis also. You have it here in New Zealand, but it's Australis because it's in the south one. So yes, I love that. It was amazing. Have you seen the one here? Not yet, but I'm planning to go with my friends sometime this year. And what about your academic interests? What was the subject that you were most interested in school? Well, since I was young, I loved animals and wildlife. And I wanted to work with them, like typical eco-sanctuaries eco and that. So when I started my degree in biology, I was like super excited to start working with animals and studying marine biology because I wanted to be a marine biologist. And then when was one day that I was in my house and there's a, a TV show that is called La Maratuda TV3 that raises fundings for different kinds of diseases each year. So every year there's a different disease and that year was cancer specifically. And I stayed in like for the whole day in my house listening to the different interviews that they did to the doctors and I thought it really interesting and I said well maybe this has more um, research and pathways to go rather than just the marine thing so I thought that it was more handy for me and I would like it more because I was really interested in that moment the second year came and it was more specific the um, subject that you do so I needed to choose between the biomedical branch or the other one which is the animals and I said let's go for the biomedical one and I enjoyed it very much. Did you do anything between your undergraduate and the PhD that you're doing now? I did a master's um, degree in translational cancer in the University de Barcelona and I enjoyed it very much and I said well yeah it is what I like and this is what I want to pursue and what I want to study in the future so that's why I, wa I started searching for different kinds of PhDs related with cancer.
So tell me a little bit more about your journey to New Zealand. Well, I was in Barcelona and I wanted to go and pursue my PhD somewhere else in the world. And I said, okay, let's expand a bit, not just Europe, go to other places in the world. And I saw by chance one PhD position in Australia. And I went to here, looking in the website of Otago, and then I found this um, lab group in the Department of Pathology. And I sent an informal um, email to my supervisor. Then I went on a trip with my parents to Norway and I was having dinner with them and I received an email and it was shorimail.go.nz and I was like, NZ? Must be Netherlands? And I was like, no. <laughs> NZ means New Zealand. I was like, what? <laughs> so I remember about the email that I wrote and she said, well, we have a project. Also, it comes with a scholarship. And I was like, what? So it's difficult to get a scholarship normally if you're going to, do, to pursue a PhD. So it's pretty competitive. And so I thought about it like for about three months, like to be sure that it was going to be like a big change in my life, like leaving everything behind just to pursue that. And well, it was a bit hard decision, but finally I made it and I'm super happy that I'm here. This cancer microbiologist comes from Barcelona City, the capital of Catalonia in Spain, a land that kisses the Mediterranean Sea. It is a cradle of modernism and enchanting architecture. It is preceded by the mountains of Montserrat and embraced by breathtaking sights and plush, rich nature. Catalonia is unique in its language a mixture of its Spanish and French heritage. Here is where you can marvel at incredible castellers, human towers held together by people of all ages. The region has traditional dances like the sardana or the rhythmic movements of a rumba catalana. And this is where Alex comes from. She is just as much a football fan as she is a player She's traveled the world like a true adventurer. Witnessing the Alaskan Aurora was truly remarkable for her. Enamored by the animals she would capture in her photography, she pursued a bachelor's in biology at Girona's university. Unknowing that one day while watching the TV, a fundraiser show featuring cancer research would inspire her to change from marine biology to biomedical studies. She then returned to Barcelona's university and completed her master's in translational cancer before crossing the world to pursue a PhD. She is now here at Otago, studying a tumor protein known as P53. Okay, so now tell us a little bit about what your research project is about. Well, my project is about PVC3. The PVC3 is a protein that maintains the genomic stability and prevents us from having cancer. And this protein is, is in our genome, in part of our chromosomes. Um, the genome is the whole genes that we have in our body. And well, the PVC3 has an isoform, which is Delta-133 PVC3 isoform. This one doesn't have one amino acid. When this protein doesn't have the, this amino acid, then it transforms itself to a harmful protein that provokes mutagenesis 
Also, it provokes cancer and metastasis of the other cells to go to the other parts of the body. The genome contains all of our DNA. It's like an instruction manual guiding how each part of us is made. Each letter is an amino acid that has a key role to play. For each word is a gene, and together messages can be conveyed. But what happens when a letter is missing, switched for another, or even repeated? The word can lose all its meaning, making it hard to process what we are reading. This is what happens when there is a mutation, a proofreading error due to these small-scale alterations. Cancer is fundamentally a disease of tissue growth regulation, caused by a series of mutations that leads to cell replication, errors in signaling, or loss of tumor suppression. A complex condition that difficults targeting its expression. P53 is known as the guardian of the genome, a protein in cells that suppresses cancerous tumors. Isoforms are genes mutated versions, and the beta in 133P53 is like P53 but with an amino deletion, resulting in this protein's ultimate transformation, from guardian to villain, promoting tumor growth and invasion. Whether it does so by hijacking other proteins' transportation is one of the principal objectives in Alex's investigation. So what are you doing now? What, what is it you're grabbing? Ethanol to sterilize everything and to avoid any kind of contamination. In labs, there's a big issue with contamination. So it's a bit difficult to get rid of it afterwards. The hood is the, um, the thing where we work and it needs to be super clean. That's why it's all about the contamination and spraying it with ethanol always. It's an incubator. It has a specific amount of CO2, also um, oxygen and it keeps the cells um, overnight or whatever you want to give them. This H299 are cancer lung cells. So it's basically trying to create the perfect living environment for the cells to replicate and grow. Exactly. Here we can, we're going to see if the cells have grown or not properly by going through the, um, this electronic microscope. Perfect. Let's turn on this microscope, see what it shows. Wow. <gasps> Oh my god, so if I could describe what I'm seeing right now, it kind of looks like a dish of very, very small types of grains. These are the cells, the whole cells. These cells are um, dividing because you can see the locus in here. There are a lot of them. At least we don't have contamination, which is a good thing. Here you see. How would you tell that there's contamination? You will see fuzzing things running on here in the middle of the image. And also you will see the media that is a bit blurry. It's not clear because the media, if you could see that, it's orangey red. So it's clear that it seems to be that it doesn't have contamination and it's good. And the flask that I'm holding has the beta isoform that I'm talking to you about previously. That is one that is harmful for our body, that provokes cancer. It's meant to attach other cells and transport them to the cell surface and then metastasize. <gasps> wow. Okay, I just saw a new flask under this microscope. What is it that we're seeing? And we're seeing um, P53 null cells, these ones. 
is null because it doesn't have the isoform. It has been modified to don't have the isoform. So we don't expect this kind of cells to be harmful. So they don't have P53. And here, we need to split the cells because they are 80 or 90% confluent. So you can see the whole image that it has heaps of cells. So that's why we're going to split them and put them in new flags. What's confluence exactly? Um, the cells that you see in the, in the image. Uh -huh. The more cells, the most confluent. Okay. So now we've taken the flasks we visualize under the microscope. Um, Alex is taking them to the hood. And where are we now? Now we are in the water bath, taking the whole median, the trypsin and the PBS. Okay, trypsin um, is a solution that permits um, the detachment of the cells from the flask and then to be, them to be floating. And the PBS, we will put it previously to the, to the trypsin because it permits to clean the whole previous media. And the media is um, RPMA and glutamax. So now that all the materials are inside the hood, what are you going to do, Alex? To get rid of this uh, media, and then I will just have the cells. And we need to leave them five minutes to permit the cells to disattach, because mm -hmm. it's a, not a long process, but it needs to be consistent. Now this trypsin solution actually looks something like watermelon juice. <laughs> and although it looks very appetizing, remember everybody, you do not consume or ingest anything you can find in a lab, if it wasn't already obvious. Afterwards, we will put media because now we, with this trypsin, we will just have the cells in here. You will see like a kind of a whitish thing, blurry thing. It means that the cells are detaching and we will go through the centrifuge. We'll wait five minutes and then you will see a tube with the whole wall of media and the bottom with the pellet, which are the cells itself. So right now, after the five minutes, we will take the flasks. Now here you can see the cells going down. Can you see that blurry thing? Yes, I can. These are all the cells that are detached. Afterwards, I'm taking my media, um, and this media permits the cells to grow. Now I'm going to go to the centrifuge. Ah, we're going to put it in here. So we're going to put two and two to balance the centrifuge itself. Mm -hmm. And for five minutes, I'm starting. And what's this 1100? It's the centrifuge um, speed of the, of, the, um, of the machine itself. You can change it. Now here we can see the two tubes, the pellets of the cells. Oh, yeah. Okay. As more pellet, more whitish thing. Mm -hmm. And this less so. The ah. we found. Yeah. The pellet actually looks like um, just a little blob of white substance. Always when you take a lid, place the lid facing down to the surface of the hood. Why so? To avoid contamination. Oh. <laughs> That's the moral of the story today. Yeah. Avoid and contamination. And then I'm being clean and sterile, yes. As you're working in labs, you need to be careful. It's kind of a recipe. Always you need to do the same, but be careful of what you're doing, so. Yeah. Take a certain volume or amount of this, you mix it with this, and exactly. then create something new. Exactly. Okay, now we're opening the microscope again, the electronic one, to see if we had done the procedure correctly. So the splitting of the cells, which means have less cells than you had to keep them growing. Here you can see them floating and moving around. Wow. In the, <laughs> in the image. Probably. It kind of looks like if you're looking towards the sky on a day that it's snowing. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about it previously, but yeah, makes sense. Yeah, true. And they're floating, which is good. They are not attached because they haven't grown and they need to be in the incubator overnight for at least two or three days, uh -huh. which is their grow rate. Wow. Last but not least, take ethanol again. 
to avoid contamination. Yeah, exactly. It's important to go every day to check on them. They're growing properly because these cells are the start of everything of my project. Because afterwards, I need to do QPCRs, RNA scopes, and flow photometry. The initial stages of this multi-phase experimentation requires careful curation of lung cell cultivation. Inside an oxygen-rich and temperate incubator lie the perfect environmental conditions for these cells to grow. There are two types, one with the isoform and one as a control. Confluence indicates cell growth. When there are too many, they die when they fail to cope and can be seen as a dish of grains under the microscope. So it must be split so fewer can float. The centrifuge collects them at the tip of the dome. This process is repeated. It's time-consuming and slow. And this is just the first step. After comes so much more. PCRs, flow cytometry, and RNA scopes to identify which other proteins make cells cancer-prone. your research contributing to the field? I'm working with P53, which is a small, small part, 1% of the cancer research. In this case, by working with this isoform, which is Delta-133, we can target and do therapeutic um, approaches with targeting this protein in order to block other proteins that are related with this isoform that go to the cell surface, and hence they go and are transported to other parts of the body, so metastasis. So you're looking at one specific yeah. stage or process within exactly. the cancer. Exactly. So a small part of a big world of research. And what about after your PhD? What do you hope to do afterwards? Um, well, I really don't know right now because I just started my PhD. I just, mm, I've been here for just eight months, so two years and a half left. Um, but um, there are different lines that I would like to take. Maybe the pharmaceutical industry which is the easiest and the fastest one. After finishing a PhD, you have the opportunity to go to a big um, pharmaceutical industry, such as Bayern, among others, and you can stay there for the whole life and it's more stable. Or also you can pursue your dream and continue with the research thing, which is way more competitive and difficult to maintain a good level on that, um, which is going through a, um, a postdoctoral, and finally being a PI, which is a principal investigator, which is like being kind of the boss of a big lab group. As a researcher, what advice would you give to future scientists? Um, to be patient, to be consistent, and sometimes if you have bad results in some experiments, don't take them as negative, or um, on the other side, take them as positive, because um, you can learn from them. And what are the challenges of being a researcher? Challenges. Well, um, from my perspective, um, I think that science is sometimes, with some experiments, so time-consuming. So some experiments may take like 8.5 hours of protocol, so you need to be so patient. Also, you need to wait for two hours for waiting for some reagent to um, do its function. And sometimes it's, um, you can have a bad day because, at, for example, if you leave at 6 and you have the results and they're not good, you need to um, start from the beginning again, next day doing again the same because this wasn't what you expected or because 
some reagent didn't, didn't work as you expected. So it's time consuming, but afterwards on the other side, it's so rewarding because sometimes things work at the first time, but you need to think that this is not real science. Trial and error is the, it's like the model of science, trial and error and repeat and repeat and repeat. What has your experience as a researcher been like and how has science impacted you? Well, I've been on science field, like being an ex uh, a scientist, pure one, since mm, two years or three years. So I don't have a lot of experience, but I'm talking of what I have lived. Planification is the first thing that you need to be really careful about. Planning your exper your experimental designs and the pitfall of, of the experiments and not finding the good results, as I told you about. Also, the ability to separate my personal life from my job with this being a scientist and doing research with my PhD. We are not like the typical stereotype, stereotype um, scientists, like the crazy ones that stay always in a lab, closed in the, without windows and without light. We also have <laughs> our um, personal life. We go to the beach um, um, go drinking with our friends, play football, futsal, tennis, taekwondo, or whatever you want to do, we still have life. So there's time for everything, always. You still have 24 hours to enjoy. You can enjoy your job, but as well, your personal life and your entertainment. So you've told us a bit about the challenges of being a researcher. Do you have any memorable anecdotes you'd like to share? Um, well, yes, I do have some memorable anecdotes. And the last one <laughs> that I had was that I had contamination. So remember, get rid of contamination, be careful. Um, it happened like two months ago. I was new in cell culture. I learned so much right now. But when I was <laughs> working the first time, I had a contamination and I had contamination for two weeks and I couldn't do anything else but that. So I was so ashamed because I thought, that I wasn't doing something properly. So right now, when I enter to the lab, I spray myself, even the, even my lab coat, full with ethanol to be careful and have like a full body and with a bath of ethanol. So yeah, that was one memorable, funny um, anecdote about being in the lab and doing science. What about things you wish you had known? Well, when we were young, the stereotypical scientific is a crazy one, as I told you about. So I wish I had known that science is not mixing things together and make things explode and make things like if you put one liquid, then another, there will be like, mm, I don't know, fuming and whatever. So and different colors like a rainbow. So no, this is not science. Science is another thing. It's like being more like kind of methodological, being careful of what you're doing, putting specific um, volumes of things to be careful because if you screw these things, um, the procedure won't work so you won't have the expected results or so you need to be careful about this so when i started doing proper science the first day that i went um into a lab i was like oh it's going to be super funny we're going to play around so no it wasn't nothing nothing exploded and no changes in color it was like putting water in a in a precipitate um recipient so and that's it and i was like ah this is science i don't want to do it but look at me right now here i'm enjoying my life Mm -hmm. I'm doing a PhD, which is proper science. And you still think that's fun, right? Of course, that's why I'm doing it. So yeah, yeah, and I will always do it. I would never regret doing this PhD here in New Zealand. And what about your experience in New Zealand? What can you tell us about that so far? Well, I've been here since eight months. It's not a lot, but I think that this is my new home, from away from home. It's literally the other side of the world, like 12 hours of difference from my home country, from Spain. Um, so I love about New Zealand, first of all, the people, 
if you don't like the people, you don't like the, the country. Um, also, I like that New Zealand doesn't have a um, lot of cars. It's not really noisy, a noisy country. You can wander around with no problem. There's a lot of security. Also, um, if you one day, for example, in one evening you are tired, you can go to the beach because the beach is le literally near here. You can do whatever you want. You can do surfing, bodyboarding, or whatever. So this is what I do sometimes with my friends. Um, also, there are different cities that I like, like Queenstown. I know that it's a bit touristic, but and um, when I went there, I did skydiving, and it was one of the best things that I did in my life. Science can sometimes be challenging, and working in a lab can be quite exhausting. Time-consuming protocols that require careful managing. For you're back at the start if you misstep the planning. And although this can feel quite discouraging, when you succeed, the experience feels so rewarding. So whenever you fall, don't just stare at the pavement. Get up, keep trying, be consistent and patient. Never lose your intrinsic motivation, for this is what fuels your passion and dedication. Trial and error are the key elements in any science equation. And in terms of biomedical experimentation, always remember to avoid contamination. Guided by an unfaltering sense of discovery, a fragment of a truly promising journey, this is a chapter of Alex's story. You've been listening to Around the World in 80 Discoveries. I'm your storyteller, Alba, and you can tune in Saturdays at 2.30 p.m. on ORFM or stream online at or.org.nz.